In this episode, I talk about visualization and relentless work ethic with Julia De Palma. Alright guys, welcome back to the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alamo. You can find me on social, at Tommy Tahoe, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I'm very active. Hit me up. Um, this whole show is focused on millennial personal development, right? Uh, and the whole focus is how do we get to the next level, right? How do you get the promotion? How do you get the raise? How do you start a business? How do you get in better shape? How do you have a better relationship? How do you get to that next level? I think you need three things, right? You need a relentless work ethic. You need a positive growth mindset. And you need a little momentum, which is forward motion with energy, right? So I I want this show, the blog, the podcast, the videos, everything. I hope that that can be a spark of momentum for you. I hope it can be that for me as well. You know, I'm learning. I'm no expert. I'm learning from everyone that I have on the show and the content that I put out. So thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. If you find any value here, the one plug I'll make, please head over to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. We've got over 100 five-star reviews. So please add to that if you found value. It helps me to reach more people, add more value. Um, I don't make a dime off of this. I never have. It's all going um, going down between 5 and 7 a.m. during the week, 6 to 10 p.m., after work, uh, the weekends, right? So I have a full-time job outside of this. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Um, Let's get into today's episode. So this is an interesting one and a little bit uh, off of the normal trajectory of some of the guests that I have. And today's guest is Julia De Palma. Uh, A lot of you folks may know her in a lot of different regards. Uh, she is a strategic account director at Tech Target. She is a full certified yoga instructor. She is passionate about visualization, mindfulness. She's relentless, a great human being. We are also dating. And um, many of you know that. And we have a very close relationship. And we love talking about you know these types of topics mindfulness, growth, passion, you know, sales, business, all that stuff. We talk about it quite frequently. And she had a an absolute standout year last year um, in sales, but really just in life um, that she generated um, really because of, you know, a lot of the visualization that she's done and having a strong why and being able to convert that into actual tangible success. So, you know, she had... Uh, a lot of focus on you know some of the student debt and student loans that she had that she was really relentless about paying off. Uh, turn that negative or that situation rather into a positive, right? Use that as a really hard goal to hit, um, and then turn it into an incredible sales experience. Over three hundred percent to goal sales rep of the year at the company, uh, working with some of the biggest companies in the world, um, and you know really becoming a leader in that space and also translating that to what she's doing as a yoga instructor as I record this she is teaching multiple classes tonight and working on her own practice so she's very inspiring in that regard in every regard uh, I love talking to her I think you guys are going to have a uh, find a lot of value from this from a different perspective than where I bring it uh, get a little background into some of the discussions we have and I think that she will help you, if you've never visualized before, if you're deep into that practice, if you have a goal that you're setting out for at the beginning of the year and we're two months in and you're not quite there, um, I think she's going to really supply a lot of value there. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Julia De Palma. We're live on the air, Tommy T and JDP. What's up? <laughs> I'm so excited. Sunday afternoon. Is there a better way to spend it than rocking a podcast? No, we could both get to talk and hear ourselves talk. We just get to talk and listen <laughs> and talk and listen. And we get to put it out for people to listen to. I feel like we should record a lot of our conversations because this isn't that much out of the ordinary. Yeah, but I got to watch my tongue a little bit. You know, I can't be going <laughs> off the rails. But episode 106. Woo. Taking too long to have you on. I know. I was starting to feel offended, but here we are. Here we are. Um, so I'm excited to get into it. 
Um, I think you have proven since I've known you, um, you know, an ability to manifest things into reality, you know, and a, a pretty relentless, uh, way about you also relentless, um, act of gratitude and perseverance. Um, and you wound up where you are kind of by accident. And I think that's the way that a lot of people find themselves when they graduate college, they get into the professional world. We don't know what to do. We're blind. And whether you, you know, the first six months in your first job, I think is really impactful for your life and how you make out and whether you're able to push through knowing that you might not love it. So I'd love to just really dig in on that to kick this off of talking about your first uh, three, six months after graduating school um, and what that process was like as, as an accidental salesperson. Yeah, I'd love to start there. Um, I used to think of it kind of as an accident too, but I've since reframed that in my mind as thinking of it as just giving myself permission to make a decision that I wasn't completely bought into yet. And I actually recently gave that advice to someone who was trying to decide on their first job that ended up being really helpful to them. And they gave me that feedback, which was pretty interesting um, because I was studying marketing and actually philosophy minor at Providence College and didn't really feel like marketing was necessarily what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in business because quite frankly, I had a lot of loans to pay off and thought of business as something that would give me a salary that would be, you know, satisfactory enough to work on that loan goal. And I remember taking a marketing class with uh, my advisor in college, his his advertising class, and it was thought of pretty highly and you had to take it, I think, to graduate the marketing curriculum. And I didn't really like it, to be honest. And I knew the next class was going to be another marketing-focused brand, perhaps, class. And I was like, oh, God, I really don't want to take this. And knew that there was a sales course that honestly scared the shit out of me to think about doing mm -hmm. because I always had a lot of opinions and thought a lot about different things, but was a little bit afraid to speak in front of people or um, be kind of aggressive, I guess, was like the stereotype I had at the time with that. Like an aggressive car salesman. salesman. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know, but that's kind of interesting. My dad was in sales. So, and it was honestly mostly because I really didn't want to take this marketing class. Mm -hmm. Sorry to Professor DeFonte. I really like Professor DeFonte, no <laughs> offense taken, no <laughs> offense given. And um, I ended up deciding to take the class. I was one of the only girls in the class, probably two of us, and then the rest was all guys. I sat right at the front, and it was during the year um, that I decided I was going to have a 4.0. So I sat right at the front and I decided to take it super seriously, you know, take all the notes, participate all the time. And my professor started noticing me and I really started enjoying what the material was on. And it came kind of easily to me. I always have really loved people and loved marketing. And I kind of got to marry those two things together in sales because the class was all about customer centric selling. And a key principle of that being you have to love the product and the business in order to genuinely sell that to someone. So that's what I took from that class and still is kind of the crux of why I like sales now. Um, but I did have that kind of crisis of marketing or sales again when I was interviewing for my first job and remember being asked the question in the interview, you know, are you really interested in marketing or sales? And they were really obsessed with that. And I was kind of like, why are they so obsessed with that? Like, isn't it kind of similar? And now I've learned, you know, there's a lot of times, uh, you know, almost like war for lack of a better word between marketing and sales. Yeah, they're not the same at all. No, not at all. But at the time I was like marketing, sales, whatever, like, I don't know, sales. And I just decided in the moment to pick it. And after the fact was like, what the fuck did I just do? Mm -hmm. Especially when I got in the sales training, because there are a lot of people who I think really did think they really wanted sales. And that became pretty apparent with the way 
they, you know, were acting and speaking during the training. Mm -hmm. And I was a bit more shy, even though I do love talking to people and being outgoing. And I was like, oh my God, what did I, what have I done? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll stop there, but that's how my journey <laughs> began. Well, no, don't stop there. Like, we're just getting into it. So you, you're in there in the first few weeks and you're, you're, ob you're aware that you're a very capable person. You, you know, you're, you have very good grades and you get into, you know, a good job and you feel probably a little overwhelmed and is this right for me? Um, I want to, I want to keep diving three or four more layers. In awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I was feeling a lot of those feelings and there were a lot of speakers coming in and from different departments and, you know, a lot of it was positioned as, oh, we're bringing these people in so we can't, you can kind of get a glimpse into different areas of business, but this is all kind of high level so that you can just understand it for context. And then, you know, the sales is just learning sales principles and doing it. But I was like obsessed with all the detail. Like I mm -hmm. wanted to go talk to the CMO. I wanted to go talk to, you know, the head of sales. I wanted to go hear every single person's pitch in the company, like all the minutiae, which at the time was a little bit overwhelming, actually a lot of it <laughs> overwhelming mm -hmm. because I was, I was just taking on way too much in my brain to just, you know, kind of separate myself and just start doing the actions that you need to do and build in order to become a great salesperson and build up your your client book. But it ended up being really rewarding to me, you know, down the down the road. Um, but yeah, at the time, super overwhelmed, you know, feeling like some of my tendencies to compare myself to others were starting to crop up again, feeling like I had to be perfect at everything. Some, you know, things that I tend to um, deal with and work on as myself. And it was honestly horrible. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I, I meant to do this. Um, I was, you know, really deciding, should I just try to find something else? And a little part of me, I remember, to be honest, you know, crying on the phone with my dad and my mom, like mm -hmm. on a Sunday night when I knew I had to go back into work. And I, I, part of myself was just like, don't quit. Like, this isn't just a shift to do something else because that thing is better for you, which I allow myself to do a lot, just mm -hmm. be flexible and kind of go with the flow. If something seems better or something I know isn't right for me, mm -hmm. this stuck out, stuck out to me as, um, you know, something I really had to prove to myself I could do just to feel accomplished mm -hmm. and be able to move on. So I decided to give myself one year in sales. And if at the end of it, I hated it and knew it wasn't for me, I could move on. But if I ended up really enjoying it, I would continue on. And at what point in that year, you're obviously still in sales. At what point in that those 365 days did things turn around did you start to see this could be something that i can do i can actually handle this i might actually enjoy it where was that was there a significant turning point yeah so i think there were probably two one and i i now can you know mark it as this looking back but one was when i maybe three actually so one was when i just i think decided I could, I'm going to do this. And I started just putting in the work of, you know, the prospecting, the looking up different clients, what they did, mapping it to what, you know, we could sell them and writing the emails, calling people, um, you know, in front of other people on the sales floor. And that made me uncomfortable, but just doing it. And one point, I had 11 meetings on my calendar in a week and it was the busiest I'd ever been at work. Mm -hmm. And I was so overwhelmed um, how I was going to prep for all these meetings because I wanted to be so thoughtful and I wanted the person on the phone to know that I thought that they needed my product and that I wasn't just trying to sell to them because I still had that kind of negative connotation with sales in my brain. Yep. And then that week went by and probably you know a month or two after... I was on a call with our SVP, then I think of 
publishing for like one of our groups and I was honestly obsessed with her. I would write down everything she said about the market, um, the technology market, so I could learn about these things so I could seem more thoughtful to my clients and say I could really understand their business. I really was like obsessed with the idea of these people knowing that I understood some type of, you know, some part of their business. And I said a sentence on the call. I honestly don't remember what it was, but something to the effect of, you know, I knew that they did XYZ technology and this was probably a pain point for them in the market. And, um, you know, we have these, you know, sites that map back to that. And they were like, oh my God, yeah, like you totally get it. And I made a few other comments and kind of pulled up the courage in myself to just say those things, hoping they would land well with the client, given, given what I thought I learned. And I was complimented by our SVP after the call on how much knowledge I had that I shared on the call. And at that point, I, I thought, wow, like maybe I can do this. Mm-hmm. And from there on out, I just decided, okay, for this first year in sales, you know, I'm a new sales rep. They don't really expect me necessarily, to be honest, to hit my number. Just, you know, bring in as mm-hmm. much revenue as, as I could um, because they obviously wouldn't have gotten that revenue otherwise, you know, if they didn't just hire someone. Um, so I just went to work and decided whatever, you know, number I hit was fine. And I landed in a pretty good spot and then had really built up the territory I was given to be in a really good place for the next year. Um, and that was almost this pleasant surprise to me that it, mm-hmm. all of these things that people said would work were actually starting to work the work, you know, the, the work I was putting in. And at that point, it was toward the end of that first year. And I thought to myself, okay, like maybe I'm starting to gain back the confidence to do this. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel, you know, like myself again, to be honest. You know what word you've said probably 12 times is the word decide. I decided to have a 4.0. I decided to be in sales. I decided that it was I was going to allow myself to do my best. Um, how do you go about your decision-making process on, on large decisions like that? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I haven't really thought of it like that before, but... I guess when there's something that inside me kind of flickers of, you know, a question of if I can do this or not. And I, I feel very motivated by feeling like I can't do something Mm -hmm. or having someone tell me I can't do something. Like when I decided to do the sales class, my, my professor had said, you know, you really can't go into marketing without taking this course. And I thought, fuck that. Excuse mm-hmm. my language. I could swear. Can I swear on this yeah, podcast? Yeah, fuck yeah. Okay. So, you already swore <laughs> out once, I think. You didn't even say anything. So, so, <laughs> so um, when he said that, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to take this class. And then when I told myself, you know, maybe sales isn't for you, I said, oh, no, I want to see if I can do it. I decided to do it. So whenever I guess there's that feeling or someone tells me something that, you know, they don't think maybe I'm right for something. It really fires, puts a fire in my belly to make a decision mm-hmm. that I'm going to prove them wrong or prove myself wrong. Yeah. And that's, it, there's a really famous quote from Brian, I think Brian Tracy or, or Stephen Covey, decide today to be a massive, massive success in everything that you do. And that we're going to get more into, I think, some you probably would have said the word decide another dozen times and maybe you won't now because I, I called you out for it. Um, but the decisions you make are, are what dictates the path in life that you're, you actually follow mm-hmm. and the success or lack of success that you have, I think always boils down to the decisions that you make and the actions that you take. So I think that's interesting. And I'm, I'm curious on if we play it forward into, you know, the, the, the woman that was shy and not sure if it was right for her and crying on the phone to their parents, um, you know, four years later has, has seen a lot of success, especially in 2018, massive success. Um, I'd love for you to, to talk about how um, you've transitioned and how you've been using, you know, mental practices, visualization, things like that to 
get to where you've been and, and find success. Yeah, sure. So this is one of my favorite topics, as I think you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I decided to hit my number 100% to goal. I had seen people at our sales meeting that we sat in on while we were in training go up and shake our SVP's hand of worldwide sales when they got 100% to goal or more and thought, oh, well, I want to do that. I want everyone to know that I made it through our this training period and was going to be serious about you know what I produce mm-hmm. in my sales role. And I think people kind of knew too that I wasn't sure about myself and, and the role um, when we were all in training. So that became my mission. And I honestly got pretty busy just in the details of learning that first full year. So with that, I got a lot, I got really busy. I got into learning a ton about the market more, um, you know, sitting in on other people's calls, working with my clients and didn't do a ton of visualization that year, but I ended up coming in, I think at 120% to goal and was very happy with myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And decided to, you know, I wanted more of this because I, I also started realizing as I gained confidence back, you know, in the parts of my life before my first job, I was also always very goal oriented. And like I said before, liked to kind of be told no and then prove people wrong. So I, you know, decided I wanted kind of the next step in my career. I wanted to move to San Francisco because I, you know, was kind of tired of being in Boston, went to San Francisco to meet with some clients after I was told that I should look into that and loved it. So then my whole, I guess, visualization became like needing to be in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. needing to move there and be closer to all of our clients because obviously Silicon Valley is like the hot place for technology. So I ended up moving to San Francisco, kind of flash forwarding. And that I think was like mid-year, my second year. And once I did that, the visualization stuff really, I think, took off because I would be driving down the highway from a client meeting, seeing my clients' billboards or, you know, driving by and seeing the buildings with their names on them and stuff and feeling like, wow, I really am like in this world now in this industry. And that's when I met a lot of people who were also like super serious about wanting to do really well in their roles. Um, so I, I got really excited by that and wanted to just keep getting more of it. So walk me through the visualization aspect, right? You say that you're thinking about shaking his hand and all that stuff, but for people that may have never visualized, they don't, you're speaking, you know, Chinese to them right now. Walk us through like the process. Where are you? How does it go? How long does it take? What's your, what's your whole routine look like? Yeah. So I also have just read more about visualization too, as Mm -hmm. an actual thing that you're doing, but I guess, and a, a practice, I guess I would say, like a visual, having a visualization practice mm-hmm. or this being a purposeful exercise. But looking back, I've honestly done this for as long as I can remember. Um, I always liked aesthetics and imagery and thinking of how things would look and, um, you know, having kind of that like childlike imagination. So, you know, this was really like all the other times I'd done it before, but in my first job, I decided, like I said, to hit 100% to my number the first year, walk up and shake uh, Steve, our SVP of Worldwide Sales, hand so that I knew that I would have completed that. And a lot of times it starts with having that goal, making that decision, and then I think about everything in the room you know, what music is playing, who's sitting in the room, who's maybe face I see while I'm walking up to go shake his hand. I think of what his face is going to look like. I think of him saying my name and saying congratulations. I think of 
the slide with the you know number and the percent to goal on it that I would have achieved. I think about what I'm wearing. I think about how I'm carrying myself. I think about how I'm feeling, how excited I am, and how proud of, I, proud of myself I am. I think about how people will congratulate me after. Um, I think about really all of it. I th- you know, there's a lot of times music playing when they do all these awards for our team. So I think about maybe what kind of like, I don't know, it's sometimes usually like kind of goofy song. Mm-hmm. But I think about all of those things. And anytime throughout the year, I feel like I need a boost. I just like play that in my head. And that's all I get absolutely obsessed with that moment. And people might think that's kind of weird, especially people from work who might be listening to this after (laughs) because it's such a short moment. But, you know, in the year, you need a lot of motivation and inspiration to keep doing the work to hit these numbers that always get bigger and bigger, obviously, in sales. And it's something that has just really helped me to be motivated to exceed my goals. Well, they, as, as Conor McGregor says, if you can see it in your head, you'll see it before your eyes. And if people think you're weird, they've probably heard me talk about when I'll <laughs> say my goals and visualization type things out loud while I'm walking to work yep. like an absolute crazy person. In San Francisco, you never know if it's someone doing that or if it's literally someone that's on drugs or a homeless person. So I'd fit right in on my walk to work. And, but it's, you know, the more you study, um, people that have, you know, reached greatness in different fields, uh, the mental game is just as important as what your actual craft is, whether it's being an athlete, whether it's being a salesperson, whether it's being a writer or whatever it is, there's that mental, um, you know, kind of quirk that you have to have, that you have to think you're, great. You have to think you're better than you probably even are at the time to be able to get there. Um, and you've, it sounds like, you know, throughout your life, it was kind of like building the foundation, built, putting the blocks on ground and then building up, building it up. Um, and then last year, even, you know, kind of blowing past, um, what some might deem as a reasonable goal. Yeah. I think you've made, you said something that made me think of, a quote I just heard um, said on a podcast, Justin Timberlake's Masterclass mm. podcast. Shout out to Oprah. <laughs> we love Oprah. Been on um, the Oprah Bender recently. I know. I love her. Um, but yeah, so I was homeschooled when I was younger. And can we talk about that? <laughs> can we pop- I'm about to. to say, I want to talk about that. Okay, let's do it. Go on. Um. Well, what I was going to say, the reason I brought it up was um, you, I think you said you have to visualize yourself being even better than you maybe are to kind of have the tenacity to hit some of these goals in whatever you do. And something Justin had said on the podcast was, you know, he was kind of a kid that didn't really fit in and he always had to work so much harder to fit in. And when he said that, I was like, oh, my God, I love that he just said that. I've never really heard someone say that before, but that's a hundred thousand percent how I felt when I was younger because I was homeschooled and I really enjoyed it for the majority of the time, you know, my mom taught us at home and my siblings, my sister, and my brother, because we did everything, you know, really unconventionally. Like if we were going to go study a certain time period in history, we would literally drive to New York City and go to the Met. And I think that also sparked this love of visualizing and love of aesthetics and of, you know, fashion and just how everything looks because it allowed me to create like a setting for where I'd be and what I'd be accomplishing. Um, I also danced when I was little and I, I still remember being in the Nutcracker um, and sitting under the stage in the, the room where you'd get ready, all the dressing rooms would be. And people would be running by in these like brightly colored costumes. And I would hear the orchestra so loudly and I would 
feel the dancers hitting the wooden floor and it was the ceiling because I was underneath the stage and sawdust coming down and all the smells. And I think I loved that moment even more than I really loved actually doing ballet. But I was exposed to so many of those cool settings when I was younger through this kind of unconventional education method. And on the flip side, though, I was always asked when I'd meet people, you know, especially if we're out during the normal school day and we saw other adults that my mom might have known or we'd bumped in, bump into, people would say, oh, like, why aren't you in school? Just because they were curious. And I would say very proudly, like, I'm homeschooled. And they would say, oh, do you have any friends? Like, how do you meet people? And I always took that really personally when I was younger. And I had friends, but I had a very small quantity of friends that were probably more true friends. And I'm still that way now. But I always kind of had this thing that I had to prove to people that I was, you know, worth doing, you know, worth it or had to prove to someone that I could accomplish something because they maybe had a, a, you know, wrong image in their mind that, you know, a homeschooled kid isn't as smart of a, as a kid in school just because they don't know enough about it. So I'm glad you brought all that stuff up. I feel like I've been kind of going on a tangent about it, but all of those experiences I had really shaped the ability, I think, to put myself in difficult situations that make me feel uncomfortable and then decide to do better and decide to, you know, have an impressive goal and achieve it through that visualization. And do you think that ties back to part of your why? The want to, like, I feel like everyone is, is going after something, right? Whether it's, you know, money or achievement or, you know, fame of some sort or whatever it may be. And there's, you know, there's no wrong way to go about it, or I guess there is, but you know, there's a lot of right ways to go about it. Do you think part of that ties back to wanting to fit in, wanting to impress people, the achievement aspect where people will look at you when you go up to shake their hands and say, wow, I, I wish that was me because I'm 72% to goal and I didn't do what I thought I'd do. Or, wow, like that, or, or someone that is, you know, above you uh, in the hierarchy of a company saying, wow, like, you know, she's someone to watch out for or something of that sort. Do you think that ties into, you know, 12 layers deeper into the why? Is that something yeah, you've ever thought of? I have. And I, I definitely think it, it plays in. At first, when I was, you know, working on building my self-confidence, I definitely wanted that like recognition and appearance of someone who was being successful or being right. seen which I think, you know, a lot of people have that within them. Everyone wants to feel like they're being seen and feel like they're being recognized. Um, but I also think now that I've kind of gotten more comfortable with, you know, for doing it for myself and doing it for other goals that I have, I'm now, you know, wanting to be seen so that, you know, maybe other people can say, oh, she's doing that. Like I can do it. You mm -hmm. know, it at first, hundred percent was probably more of a selfish thought process and not selfish, maybe in a bad way, but just, you know, very self-aware. Like I want to do this so I can prove to myself that I'm yeah. good at this, but now has kind of transformed into, I want to inspire others or I have this massive goal that I want to achieve because it's going to allow me to expand my life in other ways that are, you know, good for myself and others around me that are the reasons I continue on this path. I want to talk about mindfulness. And, you know, there's, it's interesting because there's, there's more of a focus now than ever in terms of you see mindfulness in business as a topic come up a lot. And you have an interesting perspective as someone that's a certified yoga instructor, has been practicing mindfulness for quite some time. And, you know, also in the business realm. Um, so I'm curious on you know, what are your general thoughts on mindfulness in business? Yeah. So I always think of mindfulness as 
kind of one with being authentic and really zeroing in on, you know, the true human elements of yourself and the mindfulness part is taking some time to reflect on those things and mindfulness in business as, you know, really doing what's right. I, I kind of think of the two as, you know, mindfulness and what's right is synonymous between the two. So yeah, I mean, I guess it's my own like belief system, but just what I think is, is just to do in a certain situation or, um, you know, doing good. So with mindfulness, you know, I think it's doing what's right for yourself to take some time to be still and just think your thoughts or to let them slip away and reconnect with your own, you know, purpose and self-worth. Like every human being is worthy of love and something doing something they love and having people around them that support them and believing in themselves not because of you know what they've achieved or not but just by the sole fact that they're a human being and I operate with the fact that everyone has that because of who they are as a human being and then with business I truly think probably because of my um, education at Providence College, to be honest, even in the sales um, class, everything was about customer obsession and doing what they felt was ethical. So, and when I, I guess when I say what's right, I mean ethical. And I know that's pretty, you know, can get kind of opinionated, but that's just, that's how I think of it. And with business, I think a business should be, you know, on the market because they have a unique perspective that really helps their customer. So products that really have a track record of helping a customer, it doesn't have to help every single customer all the time because it depends on a lot of factors, but they should believe that they have a product or service that helps their customer. And you know, then all of the parts of the business rely on being mindful with that purpose. So, you know, the sales rep is going to be mindful of the the product benefit and aligning it to customers who really need it and being excited to sell it and not, you know, being sorry to be a salesperson that customer needs your product and you as a, a sales rep that's employed by a company should really look deeply at the products you're selling and make sure you think they're amazing. And that helps, I think, to create a culture of mindfulness in selling, in mindfulness in of your, you know, if you're in marketing or uh, an executive at a company, you're doing it for the right reason. Um, and that just creates a better environment, I think, for all aspects of the business. So how can a leader be more mindful or, or or how have you seen it work or not work? Like, do you think that people are doing well with that generally? Yeah, I think it depends on the person and I think everyone can. It really all starts whether you're a leader or not. And I think anyone at any level could be a leader of, you know, just within themselves and with those around them. It starts with that self-examination before it can start to have impact on other people or other parts of the business. But if you have a lot of people within a company, I think that are doing that kind of self-reflection, they can't, you know, it's harder not to bring that into other aspects of your life, including work. So I think all leaders really have a lot on their shoulders and a lot to be responsible for. So they need even more to take the time to self-care, self-reflect so that they can support the business. They can support the people that, you know, rely on them. And that's how it kind of trickles out to, you know, the other branches of a company or a family or however you're looking at it. Mm. And so you have some put to put you on the spot, some aspirations around, morphing the two 
just from what I know about you. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about what your what your thoughts and vision are around that. Sure. Um, thanks for asking that. It's something I've been really excited about because in reflecting on kind of how I've gotten to this point, I always think that the reason I've been successful so far in my career is because of that mindfulness and at first seemed like, you know, maybe an obsession to understand everything about the market and the clients and really the minutia of everything. But I'm so grateful for that because it has taught me so much and I've learned so much more about my clients and I've allowed myself to get absolutely obsessed with their businesses so that when I get on a phone call or when I'm in a meeting with them, you know, it's not like me just pretending I want to be mindful or authentic and genuine with what I'm selling them or talking about. I actually have like embodied that and really truly care. And I think it's the massive reason for why I've been successful. So the the interest in marrying the two is pretty, I think, deep within me and just how I've tried to be a successful person in business of just always leading for, from a place of genuine understanding and care and thoughtfulness. And I think it, if, you know, more people do it, it makes them more successful in their in their role in the business world. So I want to see people in Silicon Valley where it's an easy place to get obsessed with yourself and your image of looking successful, kind of back to your earlier point. Like when I was first starting to do all this visualization and achieve goals, like I wanted to seem like I'm a person who knows what I'm doing. But in order to sustain, sustain success over a long-term period, you have to have it be something more than just the image. So while imagery and everything is important, you have to have a true purpose for, you know, what you're doing long term. And I think there's a lot of companies that are emulating that, but a lot more people and companies that could take that into their culture. And I think it would help them a lot. And where does gratitude stand in all of this? I know that that's something that we've talked about a lot. I've deemed that to be one of your superpowers. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing my necklace. And it's something that I wasn't really, it's a buzzword. Like being authentic is a buzzword. Showing gratitude is a buzzword. Like just in the sense that people say it a lot. Um, and I didn't really feel it until I was at the Tony Robbins conference, which is about a year ago now. Um, and he walked us through an exercise where you really get deep into yourself and really feel it with every, you know, every cell in your body but it's so easy to say you know i'm grateful for this or that you know this bed this house wherever i am um being where you are and if you're listening to this you have 10 trillion things to be grateful for um that you're able to listen on your you know iphone 10 that you're listening with your airpods walking <laughs> to work in the job that you have um but actually taking the time and really letting it sink in um is really powerful. So I'd love for you to talk about why I think that's your superpower. Thank you. That was one of the nicest things that anyone's ever said to me. Wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think I learned about gratitude in just the feeling I get when I, something just hits me and what you described is like every cell in your body being grateful in a way. I think it's something that I, have always just had within me like I'll be walking down the street and seeing like I'll get distracted by just seeing a tree and like being like oh my god that is a beautiful tree and like (laughs) you know this (laughs) I'll stop and you're gonna be talking to me and I'm like oh I'm sorry I didn't mean to not be listening that's just such a beautiful tree or flower and I just have always had that kind of relationship I guess with nature or certain again like maybe aesthetic things or a certain sentence or something that just hits me and I just I could cry honestly like thinking of these certain moments because I just feel so one with that feeling of gratitude and I think the practice and the buzzword of gratitude you know is the putting it into practice part so when you feel that way and everyone's probably felt that way with something 
the idea is then to start recording maybe all the times you feel grateful on a certain day. And I have done that and I, I try to do it a lot. I honestly haven't been too good with it lately. But when I do it, I see a noticeable difference in how I perceive the world. Yeah. Everything is positive. Everything is like, oh my God. Like, well, you know, if, if, you know, this thing I thought I wanted to happen, happen, maybe I wouldn't be here. And you just start thinking more positively. Mm. Um, but if you're not currently doing a, you know, gratitude journal or writing just those simple things down, you can, next time you have that moment maybe of being hit by just feeling so genuinely grateful, maybe use that as a catalyst to start because yeah. I'm certainly going to, after this conversation, again, recording everything um, because it, it's absolutely transformative and it really helps with the mindfulness with, you know, just yourself, that relationship with yourself and also, you know, whatever your craft is that you're working on. Yeah. And like, that's one of the things that, that Tony Robbins said, he said, trade your expectation for appreciation. So instead of you expect to come home to your fancy apartment and your nice bed and your nice dinner, like you trade that expectation for being appreciative of, of all of it. And whether you write it down or you close your eyes or you say it out loud or you tell someone that you are grateful for, that you are grateful for them and you say thank you. Um, I go on and off on it too, but when you're on a, a – it, it's, it's kind of like when you're working out or when you're in a good diet or something. like It's just like when the momentum's going, it's like, man, I feel good. Like I just ate, you know, nine salads in a row. Like I feel <laughs> good. My body feels good like, when you do those types of things. So totally. And I think that reminds me too, in, you know, a job like sales where you have every year, you know, there's a new quota and you have to achieve that quota. You have to feel appreciative, I think, for the fact that you just did it. Say you just finished a year 120% to goal. And then you see your new quota and you're like, oh, shit. Like, I remember that first time I hit my number, I was like, oh, well, that was fun. Like, cool. Like, maybe I could do that again. And I specifically remember seeing my quota and being like, oh, I don't know about that. And the whole process had to start over again where I decided I'm going to try to do it. Totally. It's so true. So... Yeah, that that's a huge part and feeling appreciative for where you've been and then um, using that as a catalyst to take you to the next step. That's a big motivator for me is looking back. I love to I don't like to dwell on the past, but I love rereading re my journals and looking back on what I've accomplished and what I'm most proud of. And then that is just like a natural high for me. So when I in you know facing new goals I always think about that I'm like oh like next year I, I can't wait to look back on 2019 yeah. and say oh my god I grew in all these ways and my relationship is is you know just so solid and I love what I'm doing I love where I'm working I've you know really challenged myself and grown in yoga or whatever it is yeah. it's just so exciting What's so, what's something that's really challenging you right now? Well, I am challenged by my yoga practice and being consistent with that because it's something I honestly, you know, people probably think I do yoga all the time because they're like kind of associated with me with that. <laughs> but I hadn't been doing it super consistently, especially at home. And making the conscious decision to do yoga, you know, every day or every other day, my, my goal right now is like four to five times a week consistently mm -hmm. is really hard. Yeah. Making the decision to get out of bed an extra 45 minutes early and do it is that bed's comfy. horrendous. Oh, and I love sleeping. Mm, that bed is comfy at five in the morning. Oh, yeah. It's the <laughs> best. So I would say that's a big challenge. Yeah. And what have you, what are you working on to overcome that? Like how, like you're, it sounds like you're in the midst of it right now. Like, is it, is it like recapping on the week? Is it like any sort of incentive that you give yourself or is it, or like what, what's the process look for you right now? Like while you're in the midst of struggling with it. Yeah. So 
I decided on a certain type of yoga to practice, which is Ashtanga, because it is very disciplined and it's very black and white if you did the practice or you didn't. Um, when I'm, I probably sound like I'm a goal oriented, you know, obsessive person by talking about all the career stuff. But at home, I tend to be pretty fluid and just kind of like, you know, oh, this is interesting or this is pretty. I'm going to go look at this or go do this or I want to eat this. So I'm going to go out for dinner. And it's pretty hard to, in my personal time, say like, no, like I need to do this 45 minute yoga practice. So picking a practice that is very black and white if I did it or not, and not something that's super creative and I can just kind of go with the flow with it has been really helpful. And I also signed up to do a teacher, um, another, I guess it's not technically a teacher training, but it's an assisting in intensive with this woman, Janet Stone, who I've been obsessed with ever since I moved to San Francisco, who's an amazing yoga instructor. And I want to make sure when I'm sitting in that room, I feel like, you know, I've put in, been putting in the work and can relate to, you know, all the different poses she's talking about and how to assist the different ones. So that's my goal right now. And we're recording this in the, what is it? The third day of March. And I think by this point... Three days before my mom's birthday. Shout out to Liz De Palma. Woohoo! And I think if if you were to look at the stats, something like that, two months into the year, 94% or something like that of resolutions fail. We're past the New Year's resolution point. We're in March, people. Um, but I know for this year, and this is something that I want to, as we're getting close to ending, really hone in on, is instead of resolutions, or maybe in addition to... Um, you're focusing on a word this year. And this is at least in part inspired by uh, John Gordon, uh, who's coming on the show actually in a few weeks. Um, great author, great speaker um, that, that really focuses on one word versus, you know, 37,000 resolutions. And, and that's that word guides everything that he does. Um, and I'm not sure if that's exactly where you also got it or if you came up with it on your own or found it elsewhere. That's where I first heard it from. Um, but I'd love for you to talk about what that word is, how you're going about it. And now in the first two months, how it's been. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, we're a little different in these ways. You're really good at like, it's January one. These are my goals. Like it's now or never, like let's start getting after it. But I, I also think if you haven't gotten on your goal track yet, like a lot of, I think, New Year's resolution goals fail because people get a few weeks out or a month or two out from January 1st and they say, oh, I haven't really started or I didn't really do it all the way. So I, it's already failed. I just, I'm just going to forget about it. It's never too late to start. So you could start your new goals now. Um, Yeah. There's no need to wait until January 1st, 2020. No way. Do it today. Do it now. Um, But yeah. After this episode. (laughs) Um. Yes. So the you asked about John Gordon. Yes. John Gordon podcast with Rich Roll. I think you had told me about. Oh, yeah. This was a while ago. I remember Rich getting... Rich Roll, recurring guest. I love Rich Roll. Yeah. Um, and his wife. His yeah. wife is awesome. Shout out. Isn't her name Julia? I think it's Julie. Julie. No, Julie. Yes. She's a yogi as well. <laughs> and she's in, have has helped me to not eat as much cheese so mm. far this year, which is great. Yes. Um, anyway, I got this, the idea from John and Rich's podcast when they talked about this. And then you reminded me of it actually this dis- late December, January. Mm-hmm. And I had read the book mastery of love uh, by the same author who wrote Don four Miguel agreements. Ruiz. Yes. Mm-hmm. Read that book all about love and you know not just relationship with others but relationship with yourself and self-love and all that kind of stuff so i decided for 2019 my word is love and i feel like this encapsulates all of the you know areas of my life that i want to work on for Mm -hmm. this year and really i think can be something that could be recurring for multiple years but it's myself others and my profession and he has a great way of talking about love is this you know love is not that 
So, um, you know, you have to truly love your work and not just say, oh, I have to work. It's like, I think it's about love is uh, something related to expectations. I'd have to um, find the full list. I have it written down, but we can maybe link that within the podcast or something. So yeah, this one around love as being, you know, work and, and you're supposed to love your work has really resonated with me for all of those categories, myself, others, and profession, because I think you really do need to truly love what you're doing, love who you're with, love yourself in order to put the work in and want to, you know, make things challenging for yourself so you can grow. And the, the word love is just so core to how I feel like I try to live my life and work with other people and my clients and the people that I, you know, am closest to in my family and with my friends. So it's been, it's been a fun word to have. How have the first two months gone? First month when I thought really well. Yeah. Second month, a little more challenging. So you're getting a little love in February. Frustrated. Well, Valentine's Day though. I that's true. That not takes just up Valentine's all the Day. Love. You've been, you know, I mean, Valentine's I feel like Valentine's Day takes all the love. The other 27 <laughs> days, there's no love in February. <laughs> that sounds like a sad place for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I think maybe love with, with you know, personal relationships and friends and family has been solid throughout the beginning of the year, but. With work, I was getting a little frustrated, yeah. not really f- feeling love and showing the love, but have recently reconnected to that. And it's incredible once you do and have the mindset of, you know, today I'm going to be loving to myself and to all of those I come in contact with. It really makes you think about when, you know, when you're doing certain things, are you, are you doing them for the right reasons? And before you open your mouth to speak, are you speaking out of love and not, you know, saying bad things about other people or you know complaining Mm. which will just bring you down so i'm reconnecting with that and it's it's a great anchor i've been referring to it as Mm. for the year yeah that's interesting i actually just read something that was a study around how music affects people's um psychology and the way they treat others and there was in this is going to sound like a tangent but i'm going to bring it back so like people that listen to you know, something that's upbeat, maybe some live music, maybe some like, you know, upbeat like rap or, you know, something that's that's pretty fast paced. And they'll look at strangers on the street and see them as generally happy versus people that might listen to like slow, like, you know, sad, like crying type of music. You know what I'm talking about that they'll see and people will be sad or it's like screamo music and people are angry. And I feel like the way that you view people is the same way. If you step out of your house with the expectation that people are out to get you and it's going to be a shitty day and you know you're you're less than other people whatever it may be then that's what you're going to see versus the opposite where you say you know I love the 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 stranger on the street they love me it's going to be a great day you know something you know uh, some sort of greatness is going to happen today and you're kind yeah. of pumping yourself up in that way it kind of goes back to the visualization that all um, is, is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Totally. Music has been a huge part in my visualization. And to your point, like walking to work, putting on music that's like upbeat and happy. And there's even songs sometimes I play in the morning to get myself feeling good. Like Lil Wayne? Mm, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I think that tying everything that we've talked about back together is like, love listening to to music putting yourself in a certain setting really respecting and loving other people and that's a really fun exercise it's kind of a cool challenge if people want to do like this week to your point when you see someone like like oh i love that person i hope they have a great day and even just you know that might sound kind of silly to yourself to say that but once you do it you're going to start feeling good people are going to react to you differently And it just makes everything we've talked about today, I think, easier of, you know, wanting to be mindful in your actions to other people, wanting to be mindful and do the right things in business, which is just going to really catapult you to massive success. Yeah. And and love's huge in your working relationships, too. Um, And if you see 
if you see after any Super Bowl where the Patriots play, yeah. every person, every coach, every manager, everyone, I love you, man. I love you. And they'll say it before the game, then they're mic'd up, during the game, after the game. And you wouldn't expect these 250-pound, you know, really tough guys to be saying that. Um, but that that's how they treat each other. And, I mean, that, that goes across, you know, a lot of different relationships and, and business and sports. But I think that's just a very telling example that, you know, that's it's a really powerful emotion. And it's not the same as the way you love your significant other or the way that you love maybe your parents. Um, but it's showing that bond for someone and, you know, wanting the best for them and, you know, seeing them in, you know, really positive light no matter the circumstance. Yeah, I think it's just seeing the truth and the good in the person. And you can mm. see that in anyone because, like we talked about earlier, everyone has that essence of what it means to be a human being. And that is, you know, love. So I think when people say it, it might sound trite to certain people because it's like, how can you love everyone or how can you love someone right. you don't even know? But it, you love them because you, you recognize the sameness in yourself with that person. And how could you not love that or think that's cool? And, you know, in business, I think especially it's so important to have that sense of love because a lot of times it can be pretty frustrating or feel kind of impersonal because it it's business and it comes down to making a business decision which is important that you know respect for that business relationship but I absolutely love my clients mm. and I don't think you can be successful in sales if you don't love your clients especially if you're in a long-term sales role where you have to renew clients and you have to you know kind of service the full relationship or direct the whole relationship so yeah it's it's massive love is all you need they say yeah one of my favorite songs <laughs> by the Beatles yeah what I mean that's that's a great way to to maybe close this out but you got anything else for me anything else hot burning hmm I mean I've been enjoying this so I'm kind of sad to have it end but I would maybe like to close with one suggestion yeah um, if you are feeling kind of distraught at work or unmotivated, I have found it so irreplaceably helpful to have a little journal and to just write down anything. Like you can have one at your desk at work that you leave at work and one at home, even in, if you want to have two separate ones and just write down like any thought you're having any, you know, if you're sad or feeling lonely or feeling excited, any emotion, just to feel like, you know, you're not alone with that and you can have a place to write it down. And it's really cool to start doing that and paying attention to yourself and your emotions and your goals that unfold when you're writing them to yourself. And then when you look back and see how far you've come, I think other people will find you know, kind of the the feeling um, that I've had of getting motivated by that and just, yeah. you know, wanting to continue achieving their, their dreams. And I would say on that note too, if you're having a tough time, is to not block it out, right? Like not if you feel shitty, like sometimes, yeah, you got to, you know, put in the headphones, listen to music, you know, never skip an episode of Millennial Momentum. We get it. But like, you don't, you know, maybe if you had a shitty day, like you don't have the headphones in when you walk home or you take the bus home or you drive home from work or you don't, or you skip out on the, you know, the happy hour after dinner and you maybe say, Hey, well, let's do that tomorrow. And you just take some time to reflect back to the mindfulness point. And to get in touch with what you're thinking and to let that monkey mind that we all have breathe for a second and take some breaths about breaths through it. Because I think that's been something that I've learned to do is to be able to, to de-plug from whatever that vice is that makes you want to suppress why you're pissed off or upset or feeling unfulfilled or whatever it is and really try to whether it's talking with someone or just thinking or writing or you know emailing someone or whatever it is like just open up about it and I feel like that has really been beneficial totally I think you have kind of two points there where you're thinking of you know if you if you have something that's holding you back or is you know a negative or you're feeling bad 
getting in touch with it. The second one is the social media. Like you totally use that vice to avoid your true feelings and what bothers you or, you know, whatever negative feeling you're having. But your point around taking the time to be kind of one with that feeling or recognizing a challenge you have, um, that you want to overcome is so pivotal to the next steps of deciding what you're going to do about it. And I would totally recommend that anyone who, you know, is feeling sad or feeling bad about something, you know, take the, the hard work that it takes to recognize that within themselves. And then also probably to tell someone else because it's always easier to do when you have someone who's in your corner. Um, you reach out to us if you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to. And on that, we're going to end this. Uh, thank you. Huge shout out to Julia. Check her out on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, add her, connect. She's you know, really looking forward to hearing from you guys uh, on what you thought of the episode and follow-up questions that you have. So hit her up. You know you can follow me, Tommy Tahoe, uh, at Millennial Momentum. Wherever you can find us, please reach out. And if you found any value, please head over to iTunes, rate and subscribe. That helps us reach more people. Thank you so much. Be great this week. Get after it, and we'll talk to you next week. Out.